thank you so much to our sponsors, Yellow Racket Records, a place for music lovers to discover, hear, and buy new and pre-loved records. Great staff, great coffee, comfy chairs. YellowRacketCHA.com and RC2 Realty Solutions Real Estate Investments. Robin Ring's got a brand new thing. Call 531-1722. Only in Jeff Styles America. Hey folks, welcome back to Storyville with old El Jefe Nuga's own Jeff Styles, spelled with a Y. Storyville, just stories from my life, in and around my life, somehow adjacent to my life. I don't know. I mean, I can't be telling them. I can't be telling stories unless I've lived them or I know the people who did live them. That's pretty much the gist of it. You find Storyville here at fredpodcast.com. You also find Rockyology, my music podcast, one hour of impeccably curated music uh, once a week at fredpodcast.com. And we appreciate you folks tuning in and listening and subscribing. Now, say we, that means we here at Nuga Radio, where I work, and my buddy Jason the Argonaut here, who produces these things. Usually. Usually, yeah. He's been sort of slacking off here lately. That's all right, though. We're very forgiving. We're a forgiving bunch here at Nuga Radio. Um, Two things quickly today, and I'm going to keep them quick, um, that are in the news and where my life intersected with them. Both of them have to do with someone's passing. Seems to be a sort of a rut we're stuck in in 2020, a lot of passings. Chuck Yeager, Chuck Yeager dies in his early 90s. Um, The U.S. Air Force's number one all-time, greatest of all-time pilot, test pilot, extraordinaire, cojones the size of water buffalo, um, did things that no other human being had ever done before him, including being the first person to ever break the sound barrier and then being the first person to ever double the sound barrier. He earned the title of the world's fastest human being. You have to keep in mind, Chuck Yeager, for those of you who'd never read the book or saw the movie The Right Stuff by Thomas Wolfe, Chuck Yeager was the most righteous of all the Right Stuff pilots. We're talking about the early Gemini and Apollo programs, the early astronauts. These guys were ballsy to say the least. They were, Chuck himself, if you go back and look at pictures of him, he was 24 when that big B-52 dropped that experimental jet out of its belly like a bomb, and then it took off and he broke the sound barrier. He was 24 years old and he was dashingly good looking. How much Poonanny did Chuck Yeager get? All of it, all of it, as much as he wanted. Um, he, he just lived the life at 24. Imagine what were you doing at 24? This guy was basically become a legend, just becoming a legend. And the, the thing I wanted to mention the most, though, is all his, his, his combat career, the number of military uh, battle flights that he actually took, combat flights, uh, the number of enemies engaged, the success ratio was out of this world. Um, he took a, an experimental jet, uh, jet craft. Uh, not only did he break the, 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 the sound barrier with the big first sonic boom ever heard produced by humankind, he also did some crazy things that never really made the record books because nobody ever wanted to own up to him. 
uh, he would own up to him in private, but would never say publicly, like taking a jet under the Charleston Bridge. And we're talking about a jet moving about 550 miles an hour and taking it under a bridge that has a clearance of probably about 100 feet, 100 feet between you and not only your own death, but the death of who knows how many people. So I'm not saying he was a saint. I'm just saying he was a badass. But here's the, the thing I really want to say. One quick aside. You have to keep in mind that very much like the atomic bomb, you know, Oppenheimer, Einstein, all the guys that worked on the atomic bomb, when they actually developed it and they got it ready, they then started discussing what might happen. And they begged the government not to detonate it. Most every single scientist in the Manhattan Project signed a huge, big, just petition to the American government not to test the bomb because they weren't sure what kind of chain reaction it might set off. It might actually turn our planet into a miniature sun, annihilating all life on it. There were people that were saying the same thing about the sound barrier. All over the world, all over this globe that we live on, there were scientists and people who were afraid that breaking the sound barrier would create some sort of ripple effect or reverb effect, and it would just continue to get louder and louder and louder, and that this, you know, somehow these this, this splash we've made in the atmosphere was going to destroy mankind. It didn't stop him. You know, I don't think anything could have stopped him. Give him something fast, he will take it as fast as it can go. My story intersects with his only in one place, the F-104 Starfighter. When we did the, the Storyville a few weeks back, and it was kind of my brief, here's a good experiment for you folks, do a lifetime resume. Jot down the things you're most proud of, the things you've achieved in life, and, and some of the things that you weren't so proud of, but things that, that made you you. And in that lifetime resume that I had, I mentioned the fact that I got to fly in the Starfighter, the F-104 Starfighter. And that was a remarkably unique. Do you know how small that club is? How small the club is of the people who have been up in an F-104 Starfighter? I can guarantee you it's in the low hundreds. The low hundreds. I mean, from the pilots themselves, only a few of which were actually qualified to fly it, to the very small handful of people who got a chance to go up in it at air shows. And that would be a very small group. Here in this town in Chattanooga, they came to town for an air show, and three individual civilians got to go up. The guy that ran the air show, a TV personality who was well-known here, and myself. So three in this entire city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the metro area, as far as I know, were the only ones who've ever flown in a starfighter. That's a small club. I feel very, very privileged to be able to say I did it, and I was super excited. This is what Jaeger, when he discovered, when he got the bad news from on high at NASA that he was not going to be a part of the moonshot. All of this stuff he's done up until then, by the time the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s rolls around, it's, he's not going to be a part of it. He's not going to get his trip on Apollo. And he was pissed. He was supremely pissed. He felt like he'd been passed over uh, for, for inferior pilots, and there's no arguing that was the case. And he went and he jumped in a starfighter, and he revved it up, and he took off, and he punched through the envelope of our atmosphere.
essentially becoming the first human being to ever actually enter space. It's not down in the textbooks that he was. We had that guy, whatever his name, Gregoff, Gregoryoff, whatever his name was, in Russia first. And then we had, of course, John Glenn, another one of my heroes, who orbited the planet. First, he just went up and came down. Then he orbited. But, I mean, Chuck Yeager actually went into space in the Starfighter, 125,000 feet above the planet's surface. He used four different boosters to get there, and he literally went through the ionosphere, the stratosphere was way back here. Ionosphere, whatever else is out there, the other spheres that I can't even name, he had nothing but black space and twinkling stars to look at when that jet essentially ran out of air to fly in. That's just, you, you have to have three things to fly. You have to have gravity pulling you down. You have to have some kind of thrust pushing you forward and you have to have an aerodynamic wing something that's going to produce lift as it's pushed forward and gravity's pulling it down as you push it forward it fights its way up a bird's wing the regala wing same sort of design that my hang glider has those are the three things that are necessary well he still had plenty of boost but he didn't have a wing that worked anymore because there was no air around him and there was no gravity around him, just enough to pull him back slowly into the envelope. He got to that absolute apex of the trajectory and then fell like a leaf, tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. There were no more aerodynamics left. There was no way he was going to be able to take that little jet with those tiny little wings, that wingspan, and ever get it to fly again. It was falling like a cigarette wrapper, like a, like a gum wrapper thrown out of a window, and he had to eject. I went up to the Starfighter before I had a chance to launch, and I put my left fingertip on the fuselage of the plane, and I could touch the end of the wingtip with my right bird finger. That's how wide the wingspan is on this jet. That's one wing. My wingspan is the wingspan of the, of the jet's wing. And so it's a missile. And the, the pilot, I won't mention his name, um, was a remarkable guy. There were two pilots there that day. One died the next year flying an experimental aircraft down in the Caribbean. And they called him Sharkbait. He was a real cool dude. Um, but the pilot basically gave me my instructions. He showed me this was nerve-wracking. I've got a, you know, an air suit on, a, a flight suit, and I've got oxygen and everything ready to go. And he showed me how to actually deploy the eject mechanism. He said, now, if something goes wrong, you're going to know it. If I don't have a chance to tell you if something happens to me, the plane will be acting very erratically and there will be an alarm. And you have to reach down between your legs and yank on this thing as hard as you can. And you better make sure your head is pressed down to your chest. Your chin needs to be ob absolutely just up against your sternum because when that thing goes the canopy blows out and it's a huge couple of sticks of dynamite up under you that's going to blow you into the atmosphere going 600 miles an hour and it'll break you into a thousand pieces if you're not braced so now i'm really looking forward to it right i'm pumped i'm pumped i'm an adrenaline junkie that got my attention 
And I can tell you this, there have been two times in my life I have been on a man-made mechanism, and the mechanism performed admirably. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, but I was convinced I was going to die. One was Space Mountain at Disneyland in California. The first time I ever rode Space Mountain, I'm not going. I ain't going to sit there and lie to you. I mean, you're in the dark and you're hurtling down in the spiral downward thing, and you're picking up speed, excessive speed, and you're finally thinking, this can't be right. This isn't supposed to be happening. I'm not supposed to be getting yanked around inside this thing. This thing's out of control. I literally thought I was going to die on Space Mountain. So maybe I'm not that big of an adrenaline junkie after all. But the takeoff with the Starfighter, we ended up at the end of the runway. We're on the ground still. We haven't lifted off one inch, one millimeter, and we're doing 450 miles an hour. And I see the end of the runway coming up at a speed that I can't even describe to you. And when you're on the ground, you still have perspective as to how fast you're really going. When you're way up in the air and it's nothing but a far-off distant horizon, you might as well just be sitting in a Delta jetliner, you know, reading your magazine, drinking you're drinking a beer or whatever, you know, kicked back. You, you have no impression of speed. When you're on the ground, by God, you know you're going somewhere. And I saw the end of the runway coming up, and I was going, well, this is crazy. This is wrong. I mean, we should be lifting off by now. I had not seen the thing launch. I didn't know what it did. What it did was hit the end of the runway and then go straight up, a 90-degree angle. And we pulled about six Gs when we launched. When we left the ground and went straight up like a rocket, like the missile that it was designed to be, literally pulled about six Gs. I felt like a big fat man was sitting on my chest. I couldn't have moved a muscle. How he kept his hands on the mechanisms that steered it, I have no idea. But then we took off. We did one fly by the airport so the people on the ground could see how fast we were moving. Low, very impressive. The story wraps up like this. It was a 20-minute flight. In 20 minutes, we traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. The first time he asked me to look down, and I'm used to looking down on the terrain around here from flying myself in hang gliders and just flying in and out from every direction to other major cities. He said, where do you think we are? And I said, I think we're above the Okoe River. I think we're above the Okoe Basin. No, we're north of Knoxville. I was off by an hour and a half, an hour and a half driving time. And that had taken us about five minutes in the air. We looped around the Smoky Mountains and then did a big turn out west, went all the way out to Tullahoma, and then came back and landed. And we were back on the ground in 20 minutes. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. We told me we were north of Knoxville. I didn't believe him, and he actually pointed out a couple of things I could see, and I knew they were landmarks, and he was right. One time, he almost got me. The TV guy that took the ride that day, uh, he fouled himself terribly. I don't even think they got a chance to do the TV story. I think they got some video of me and the guy from the from the air show getting out of the actual cockpit because he had vomited all over himself. It was terribly embarrassing, and he deserved it. He's that kind of guy. Um, but, I mean, he almost got me once. He, he had me looking down at one of those landmarks. I'm looking down to the left, and he turned right. And there are no soft, gentle, easy turns in a starfighter. You go from 45 degrees to 90 degrees to 62 degrees to 11 degrees to upside down, and you have no 
feeling of anything moving gently. It's just yank, 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 yank. And when he turned to the right and basically banged upwards, my vision, I described it this morning to Jason and a couple of other people. Just imagine if your, your vision was a TV screen and it's somewhat rectangular, ovoid, whatever, and mine shrunk down just in a, just a second. It shrunk down to the size of a postage stamp held at arm's length. That's what I saw. Just a black tunnel with a tiny little square of light way out there that looked about the size of a postage stamp that was the terrain I was looking at. And then it slowly came back to me, and I realized I'd just about gone out. And I said, you almost got me. I mean, he, he did it on purpose. Clearly, it was something that he and the other pilot did. They tried to make their passengers either throw up or pass out, and I'm proud to say I didn't either. Thank you very much. But the passing of Chuck Yeager, God, what a dude. What a dude. The other one, I'll give this one very short and sweet. John Lennon, yesterday, as we record this, was the 40th anniversary of his death. He had just turned 40. So he has now been gone from this planet as long as he was on this planet. And I think it's fair to say that there's no living celebrity alive today. No celebrity. Not a movie star, not a musician, not, not, not an author, not a phenomenon, not a, an influencer whose death, whose assassination would have the same effect that losing John Lennon had on us in 1980. There's just nobody who exists like that. The Beatles' short career changed the world at least four different times, four distinct times where music and society and clothing and culture and fashion and thought patterns and hair and everything changed because they did whatever the Beatles did in a very short amount of time. And John Lennon was arguably the smartest, most intellectual of the bunch, possibly the most artistic of the bunch, maybe the most abrasive of the bunch. I don't know how many of us would have actually liked him as a person. But the loss was, was brutal. And it happened during a Monday night football game. I'm sitting there watching it with my dad. And here comes the voice of Howard Cosell, 40 years ago yesterday, last night, telling us that John Lennon had been shot and killed. There was no speculation. He was dead by some unknown gunman out in front of his apartment. He just released his first album in years, Double Fantasy with Yoko. Nobody wanted to hear Yoko's stuff, but it was wonderful hearing John's voice again. And I was in college radio. We were stunned. My dad had seen the Beatles live. My dad was pretty hip. And he was stunned. We were both brokenhearted. My best friend, a living friend today in the world, was working in college radio then, and he was on the air that night. And he was there about 11.30 p.m. when the UPI machine, clackety-clackety-clackety-clack, little typewriter-driven thing with little hammers, just like it is a typewriter, whapping on this piece of paper. Five bells. Five bells means big news. It means the end of the world. Five bells and then just sentences. John Lennon shot dead in New York, and he was on the air, and he had to sign off at midnight. So he had 30 minutes to play a couple of John Lennon songs and then had to grapple with the reality of it like the rest of us. 30 minutes. Because back in those days, radio stations did this funny thing. They signed on and signed off every day. 
they had a little jingle that they played in the morning and one that they played at night, and they gave you the call letters, and then they actually went off the air. TV stations did the same thing. So I had to sign off that night, and the next morning I signed on. And I just can't tell you the, the pall that hung in the air. People were walking around, old and young, black and white, men and women. It didn't make any difference, and they looked like somebody had just gut-punched them, like they just lost their grandma and their dog in a, in a house fire. And they're just walking down the street, and just everybody was in a daze. The whole world was literally in a daze. The only thing that comes, you know, that, that approaches it really is 9-11, and 9-11 surpasses it. But that's the only other thing that's happened in my life that had that kind of impact. Maybe, maybe the Challenger explosion that just affected everybody. And as I explained this morning on the air to my coworkers here, here I am, a young fledgling radio guy. I've just changed my major from forestry to journalism slash mass communications. And radio is all in my heart and my soul, and this is what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to become a great radio news reporter and win a Pulitzer doing something and all this stuff, but I love music. And I'm in there, and I take my first suicide call on the air. We had the on-air hotline, like every station does, where you call and make requests, talk to the DJ and BS and stuff, you know, and all this stuff. And a guy calls on the air, and he's going to kill himself because John Lennon's dead. And I had no training on what to do in that sort of situation. I just kept talking to the guy, talking to the guy, and wouldn't let him get off the phone. And I guess that is the right thing to do. But I just did it naturally. It wasn't even a scenario I'd ever dreamed of. But this guy was so morose, he was in a high building somewhere, he wouldn't say where, and he had a gun. And I talked to him for about 45 minutes. I guess I played eight songs just back-to-back, back, you know, on 33 and a third RPM turntable records and just stayed on the phone with this guy. And um, I guess it was a day or so later, Yoko's request was that there would be a, um, a few minutes of silence. The exact amount of time, I don't remember. Maybe it was four minutes to coincide with the 40th birthday that he just had. But it was a significant length of time. It was more than just a minute of silence. And we actually had to sign the station off with the we're going off the air jingle and then come back and sign it back on again in order to be able to do this legally. You couldn't just have your broadcast signal just going out and have it just be dead air purposely. That was against the rules back then. And we went upside uh, the, to the top of the building that we were in, the top of the radio station, the roof, smoked a big joint. Four or five of us didn't say a word, not one word. Nobody spoke. Nobody was going to break the silence. Went back down and signed the station back on again. And when I think about me being 60 this year, him being 40 when he died, at the time that seemed very old to me. At the time I was 20 years old. I hadn't even, no, I just turned 21. No, just turned 20, just turned 20. Just turned 20 years old in 1980. Forgive my math skills and my memory. But, God, that seemed forever. That seemed like you should be able to do a whole lot in 40 years. You know, he lived a good life. Now I think about how young it was. It's just devastating. But anyway, just thoughts. General rambling thoughts from a general rambling mind. Uh, I want to say thanks to Jason, the Argonaut here, filled in for me with the rest of my coworkers here the last couple of days while I was uh, waiting for... 
Yet another COVID test. It came back negative. At this point, I'm kind of wishing I would just get it and get over it. The immunizations, the vaccines are supposedly coming, but I don't know when I'm going to actually get one. And when you feel bad and you think you've got it, this is the third go-around for me and the third test. I'm over this stuff. I know you guys are, too. Take care of each other. I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Storyville. Fred Podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors, Kelly Subaru, Safe, Frugal, and Green, Riverfront at MLK, and at kellysubaru.com, Dr. Brett Moldenhauer, Institute for Acupuncture and Wellness, and North Spring Cryotherapy and Rejuvenation Center. Find them at northspring.com. For more, go to fredpodcast.com.